0: Last Stories with me Neil Kagram and today we're joined by Tim Abraham. Tim uh, appreciate your time, obviously we've had to do this via video call due to the current climate we're all kind of living in at the moment with this coronavirus so um, appreciate your time, hope you're keeping well most importantly.
1: Yeah all good at the moment, yeah just like you just working away really just uh, trying to adapt so it's a big challenge for everybody of course.
0: Um, so let's get into the interview. Um, so you're best known for your 23 years, I believe, working for Sky Sports. Predominantly, majority of that was working as the cricket correspondence uh, for Sky Cricket. Um, but was cricket always an interest of yours from a young age?
1: Yeah, I um, I suppose in many ways I had the green job in that you know I was brought up on cricket and I played club cricket. I went along to cricket with my dad, I used to score for his team and do the scoring. And then sometimes when they're short, I get the old game for their men's team. And, um, but yeah, I was just brought up in cricket. I think it kind of needs, I think it's different now, but I think certainly it kind of needs to be in the blood because cricket's not everyone's cup of tea. So you kind of need that, that passion for it. Certainly test match cricket in the longer form of the game isn't something you can just quickly switch into. Uh, 2020's changed that, of course, the the short form of the game. But because it was part of my uh, growing up, um, you know, cricket has always been a passion. So to get the chance to go to report on it, um, uh, you know, a sport that I just really loved and and like to think that I sort of knew about, you know, really well as well. Um, I, I just I love meeting the characters, the top elite players who... Uh, was so much better at it than I was so but was it, it, always been a passion really I, I do remember when I was young how I used to see sort of editions uh, of the cricketer magazine at the back they had how you could go on these cricket tours and um, you know package holidays around it with all the sort of nice grounds of the Caribbean and so on I, I, I thought at the time wouldn't it be amazing to go on you know a cricket tour and watch England and and, and basically, I got the job that enabled me to do that. So that was pretty amazing, really. So, yeah, it, it's always been there. It's always been my uh, the sport I've been most passionate about, liking all sport, of course. But cricket's been the one that I've been most passionate about. So, yeah, from a very early age, um, you know, it, it was there really from playing club cricket right through to reporting on it,
0: too. And then how did your career first start, if you take it all the way back? Um, your first opportunity working in journalism came via radio, I believe?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, um, I pretty much knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to sort of work in, in sports journalism. So uh, I did a degree that I thought would help me with that. So I did uh, a, a sort of a media studies degree. Now, at that time, there weren't many journalism courses around at undergraduate level um let alone sports journalism courses as there are now um but i knew even then i knew that i'd need something else so i did a postgraduate journalism course and down in cardiff and whilst i was there i did um uh, a lot of work experience at the local radio station red dragon radio uh went out and did match reporting i worked in the newsroom. Um, because it was on my doorstep and really enjoyed doing that but I mean I love doing the radio work and uh, actually at the end of my year um, they had someone who was leaving so they got in touch and said basically you know us we know you would you like to sort of come and work for us so um, so obviously I jumped at the chance so that was my sort of foot in the door um, and I did I worked in news the and sport there um, which I thought was pretty good because uh, just from a writing point of view and just doing stories, um, working in news have really, really helped in that. There's so many sports stories that are news stories in many ways. Um, and I worked in news and sport and then I got, then I wanted to specialise in sports. So I uh, was the sports editor at Two Counties Radio down in Bournemouth. Uh, so I ran the desk there. And that was good because that's at the time when Harry Redknapp was the manager of Bournemouth and he was great value and such a help to me. He's a still a young reporter, you know, he was great to deal with.
0: Was um, he a character to work alongside? Oh, absolutely.
1: Then he, he was so laid back. He to get come in, have a cup of tea, you know, make me a cup of tea and we'd sit in his office and do our interviews and things. So he was great and really helpful. Um, and actually at the time, Bournemouth were doing well under him and they had a good, uh, you know, a few cut runs and that. So you know that it was that was great experience reporting on that a, a good time to be down there and i did a bit of hampshire cricket as well and then i moved up to london to become a reporter for lbc and irn independent radio news um and that was uh in all sport again as uh, solely as a sports reporter so i did lots of other uh, national and international stories as well um and i did cricket tours for them and um and then then in 1993 actually i mean i sent i sent off a cv and a tape of my radio work to sky i've heard about this story
0: you're a, you're at trent bridge and uh yeah let a bit yeah I, you can explain i it. was
1: covering the ashes yeah and um i got this message in in the days before we had mobile phones and things so uh, to uh, ring this uh, person who i'd never heard of and i kind of ignored it in a way for ages and it and then um it turns out that this was the secretary of a guy called Vic Wakeling, who sadly passed away now. Um, But he was the head of football at Sky. And um, basically, because when I sent my CV into Sky News as it was, um, I got the letter back saying, oh, thank you for your interest. Uh, We don't have anything going at the moment. So I just, um, I was, I thought that's fine. I was still really enjoying what I was doing. So I wasn't that bothered, to be honest. But then my details got passed on to Sky Sports, who are launching their own kind of news programming around their football coverage. And um, so they got in touch with me, and I kind of ignored it. And then when I actually did eventually ring this person back, she said, oh, we've been trying to get hold of you for ages. Um, we'd like you, if you're interested, to come down for an interview for Sky Sports. So I thought, my goodness. So I you know, obviously uh, went down after the test match had finished, and, and it went really well. Um, I, it, I thought it did. I mean, I did. I had this chat, and I, I was expecting to be really grilled and put on the spot, and all my sporting knowledge, you know, sort of really quizzed and everything. And actually, it was just a chat about football with this guy, Vic Waking. It was really informal, and I, well, I didn't get a grilling at all. Like, how do you deal with this story, or whatever it was. And um, so I seemed well, that, that seemed to go quite well. And then, but I didn't hear anything back for a long time. And I well, you know, it's a few days, and I. Um, so I eventually rang this person. I said, oh, I guess it means I haven't got the job. And she said, oh, no, you know, you have. We're putting Oh, didn't he tell you? And he was, I said, well, no, he didn't, you know. So, so that was it. And I was straight into TV. Literally, I, I hadn't been out on a shoot or anything really before. I did a bit of TV work with ITN, who were sort of affiliated to IRN. Uh, but very limited experience. But the typical Skyway, Skyway was, right, get out and um, you know throw you're thrown in the deep end
0: and did you find that, that transition from was, radio to television difficult or so I, I said, initially, I, initially very very different
1: uh it's it, certainly in the in the writing um because it's all about writing to pictures so that that took a bit of you know there were pieces that i did that uh i had to redo because um you, you know uh, i the producers would say well actually you know this is a better top shot you know you should use this shot and things so it did take a bit of getting used to it, but you learn fast i mean that, that i that's what i really enjoyed about sky or abide them in that they they gave you that chance but you know it was kind of a, in a, in the very early days it's kind of like on the training uh sort of reporting as well but um but it wasn't like you took it personally yeah, i mean i think everyone understood so they so if you've had to recut pieces you did it and got on with it really but yeah, there's always that transition to make, but I learned a lot of of watching more experienced colleagues who wrote really well, and and uh, I always think actually, I mean, e- even to this day, and this is something I tell my students um, that um, uh, although it's television, um, whatever the medium, being a good writer is really important, and the best TV reporters, uh, the best TV sports reporters, and the best writers they write to picture really well so writing and just having a really good turn of phrase and writing to picture is really well it's not about doing a good piece to camera uh, or a good live yeah that's fine that's important but being a good writer i think is uh, really important
0: in in tv and then that your first opportunity in sky that was mainly football Um, yeah then the opportunity in cricket came how
1: yeah, I, was, I did football for six years. I actually, in the days where there was a bit of a, an off-season in football, uh, I used to get loaned out to the cricket department because they knew that I liked my cricket. Uh, and it was around the time of the 1999 World Cup where I, uh, Sky had programming around that. And I got seconded and worked on that, which I really enjoyed. And then I, I worked for a programme called, after that, The Pavilion End, which is a really good magazine programme program around cricket that lasted about an hour well, and what i enjoyed doing with that was i i got into doing some nice featurey stuff where i could go out and do a shoot for two days at a county or do a profile on a play or do a good story and opposed to my cricket my foot my football work where it was very just quick turnaround news stories do a shoot in a day cut edit it goes out and that's it move on uh, i could really take my time and do some nice features um which I really enjoyed. But as they upped their coverage, uh, Charles Colville, who kind of had the role, if you like, as being a reporter, was doing more studio work. So they needed somebody else and, and asked me if I fancied doing it. So, um, so that was, that was, that was uh, me doing cricket. So, so it's around that 1999, 2000, I almost, uh, my first assignment straight away was to do the, the uh, South Africa tour, England's tour of South Africa in 99-2000. And that was a time when they were the lowest of the low. Um, uh, they just lost a Test Series to New Zealand. Um, Nasser Hussein was appointed the captain with Duncan Fletcher. They, they'd never even met, you know, and they were then off on this tour. So it was quite a, an interesting and newsworthy time to do it. I suppose, in a way, looking back, the real start of the building blocks for them becoming uh, the success that they are today, really, right from that, that partnership.
0: And how was it? Obviously, a cricket tour is not one or two week assignment. When you're going overseas, um, you're talking two, three months even. Um, it looks glamorous, but how did you find it being away from home, I, family, yeah, friends? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I I, did, it, it, I, I think, and I think all the other sort of reporters will kind of agree with me. I mean, it's 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 really hard work in that because of the appetite and the demands uh you are working every day there's no it, you know it's there's uh, there's no time off at all because every day there's a story to do and uh the ecb would put up a player most days and uh and then i had to cover all the warm up games to a test series um and then uh then you, then i'd do all the build up stuff to a test match then all the test match days and then everything just moves on. So you, you don't get a day off at all. And uh it's a long time away from home. But I think, um, I think all the reports, you kind of get in this bubble and you just you get used to doing it in a way. It's um and, and in some ways because you are away from home, actually working and just being so focused is no bad thing because it just keeps it just it it keeps you going in, in many ways. It's only when you stop and get back and you think, you know, my god, I've just done straight two and a half, three months. Um, I think one Ashes tour, I did 76 straight days. And that's, you know, with the, you're even you're even reporting on a travel day, you know, because a player would be pulled up. Even if it was at the airport and a quick grab at the interview, you still have to send that back and do a package around that. You know, either it's a a, a sort of, a, a, you know, follow on from how England done or it's a preview to what their next challenge is and so on. So I, I remember even literally walking onto a plane and we're almost filing stuff back using the wifi of the airport to get some stuff back on our computers and things. So, um, but you, you kind of get into a bubble of doing it and, um, and, and you get used to it. And, um, and, and in some ways it, it takes your mind off being away as well because you've got, you know, a lot of work to focus on. Um, and do what is it's great fun too. I mean, whilst you're away a lot and you are working every day, um, you, you just get to see a lot of the, con- all the countries where you go. So, Whilst you don't get a lot of chance to explore, you are you see enough of the country to take it in.
0: Yeah. How important was kind of your relationship with the media officer? as um, such. So did you have a chance to was it kind of restrictive in terms of the kind of players that you had access to? Could you go and say, I want to have an interview with the skipper? Or was it just kind of here's who you have today? It's it's pretty much
1: you're served. Um, I mean, you could make requests, but you're pretty much... I mean, um, the ECB got better at it, um, but they they, would know themselves who the newsworthy person is. Say, for example, I don't know, we're looking to head to a test match and uh, 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 Jimmy Anderson is making his 100th appearance. You know, that's the obvious story. That's the obvious line. Or, you know, Alistair Cook is on the verge of, you know, eclipsing Graham Gooch. So. Uh, they'd they'd know who the newsworthy people are. And obviously if there's a bit of controversy, they keep them away as well, you know. So you were pretty much served it. But you could uh, you can say, look, I'd actually quite like to do a piece on Stuart Broad or that. And that would be taken into consideration. And you know, that would often come off too, or you get that as a as a bonus as well. But I think, you know, um uh given given the demands of the media and um uh, you know these would be like to you know be in control of that so the same message is being put out but you know it's very telling in a way it, it does kind of cut back on creativity in many ways because you can is that frustrating?
0: Was yeah, that frustrating? yeah
1: yeah ab- absolutely I mean you might have an idea for a nice story and and or, or a nice feature to do and it kind of gets knocked back so that that is frustrating um um But you can tell almost, you know, if you look through the papers, I I suppose it applies in all sports, but you always knew um, when it was, say, a Jimmy Anderson day or a Stuart Broad day or a Nasser Hussain, because every paper would be carrying really the same story, you know, with the same quotes and everything. So it did cut back on that. You were given that player, and it's almost the message to the media is, right, make of it what you will. We're giving you the player you know it's up to you to to do what you want with that with that uh, with that access really yeah so
0: is there any um, moments covering at home or overseas that particularly stand out for you as a fun memory um well i um yeah
1: i there's a few fun i i mean actually having done a i did this um when we were at the world cup in the caribbean and i and um, i was i yeah, I used to do a lot of running to keep fit almost and get, get that bit of me time and, you know, just a bit of therapy, really. So I was quite into my running and everything. And um, Paul Nixon, the, uh, the England Wicked keeper, was this really fit guy. He used to do all these sort of things. So I thought it would be a really nice piece to do with him about his fitness. And uh, and, I, and I got access to him. And we, did, we, did, we, you know, we went running together. We got some really good shots and doing all that. And I did this interview with, with him on the beach in St. Lucia. So I said to him, it's quite a nice light piece, obviously, not very newsy, but just a nice piece to do. And um, I, said, um, I said, I'll tell you what, a great way, and I said to the camera, a great way to end this was, because when the players came back from training, they'd all just dive in the sea and do all their worn downs and all that in the sea. So I said, I do notice, you know, you just come back and you swim in the sea. I mean, great to have that on your doorstep and everything. And uh, so I said, well, how we'll end the pieces? We'll just do this sprint into the sea and have a race, you know, and do that. But when I did the piece, we did this as a piece to camera with the in shot as well. And I, I, I didn't tell him I was going to do this. But I actually, before I started uh, finishing, I'd say, right, last one, then is assist. And I just started running, took him, but and he's, he ran after me, and he's, you know, and and so and that was a, that. was a really nice way of ending it, and it really worked really well. Um, and uh, of course, but there are so many really. I mean, um, going back to. Uh, uh, almost big moments when Andrew again at the, at the World Cup when Andrew Flintoff went out on his pedlo and got in trouble for doing yeah. that. Now, I talked about almost uh, the ECB protecting players, but one of their ways of making Andrew Flintoff face up to what he'd done was they put him in front of the media. Um, and we did this, uh, we did this, and Sky took that live, and I led off the press conference so. Uh, basically, I had to ask some difficult questions, basically, of like what the what what we, the, what were you doing, you know, and all this. So that was quite difficult, and he was very one wordy and everything. But there have been um, there have been some amazing uh, press conferences and and interviews with the uh, with the commentators as well, because that's a big part of the job, getting their views on things. And uh, I remember Nasu saying it was was it was a commentator, and he's a, he's a brilliant commentator, but he'd always try and. Uh, um You know we where, where he could take the Mickey or whatever, so we were talking about the Kevin Peterson situation when that was all blowing up, and he was and I basically did this interview with him and was saying well that's you're you captain England, you know what characters in dressing rooms are like i um, I guess everybody's not going to get on, but um you know I guess it's about pulling together you know once you know and as a team and he said absolutely right, he said um Everyone doesn't get on. You know, there's sometimes there are little cliques or whatever, but once you almost go past that white line, you know, everybody's in it together and you you play for the team. And that's what being a good team's all about. Not everybody's not going to get on, everyone's not going to be the cup of tea. And he said, for example, this was a live interview. He said, for example, look, I'm I'm here talking to you now, doing this interview. He said, I don't like you, but I still do it, you know, and <laughs> uh and so mate did it in a joke way. But so there are lots of nice little funnies as well, but um Massive press conferences. The thing about cricket is that whilst it might not be everyone's cup of tea, it has produced some amazing stories, um, sports stories, if you think that we've had to deal with ball tampering, um, uh, the whole Kevin Peterson issue. Um, and, um, you know, there's been mate, you know, like we were at the World Cup when you know, Bob woolman died, the Pakistan coach. You know, we were almost covering a World Cup when a murder inquiry was going on so uh which is quite incredible really so there've been amazing stories to to deal with you know the the match fixing with pakistan here you know with mohammad amir and and so on um uh there've been incredible big stories to cover you know and when peter where does a 2005
0: plan, right? when does is, a is 2005 um yeah. so I, I believe you were the when you when we talk about the victory bus parade am i correct to say you were the only tv personnel that was actually allowed on. yeah
1: that's right i mean that was a great moment i mean yeah well reminded it just shows how there's so much and but that was a great yeah because um given the interest and everything uh, basically um uh on the on the england team bus there was one tv reporter one radio reporter and a photographer and and then that's all that was allowed because there was just no room for like for a whole big media contingent so my job, uh, um, so all the pictures and all the interviews are basically pooled for everyone to use. So for the BBC, Sky, Channel 4, um, and everything I did just got shared by everybody. Uh, and that was the, the sensible agreement, really. So there's myself, Jonathan Aitkeny from the BBC on there, and um, and one of the um, Getty photographers on there. And that was it. And then then every, uh, everyone else you know, it was the players and their wives. but. That was that was amazing. I was just doing interviews, live interviews, on the top of the bus, you know, as they sort of made their way around those amazing crowds. So that that was massive as
0: well. Yeah. And then you touched on Nasir saying, um, look, at, if you look at Nasser saying and say Michael Atherton, you've obviously seen them, reported on them as players, and then they've eventually become colleagues of yours or ex-colleagues. Mm. Um, what kind? They're kind of regarded as one of the two best commentators in world cricket at the moment. But what, in your opinion, makes them stand out? Um, I think um,
1: what they're good at, I mean, obviously they give you that dressing room and captaincy insight. I mean, if you look at Sky's commentary box, every one of them are pretty much... It's slightly changed with the introduction of people like Rob Key and Ian Ward and so on. But um, pretty much when you had your Gower, your Botham, um, your Willis, your... um, uh, Nasser Hussein uh, Every one of them is like a former England captain, and so, um, uh, but they get that gave that great insight. I think that's the Sky way. That's what they want. They want that. I mean, that's the way uh, punditry goes throughout broadcasting now. Sports broadcasting. They want that dressing room insight, and that, and that's what they're they're really good at giving. And giving a captain's perspective as well, tactically. Uh, you know what the players are going through, and so on. But what was um, a particular strength of Michael Atherton is because I think he's probably now been a sports journalist longer than he's been a player. So, uh, but they do uh, they do take themselves out of that that dressing room bubble as well and can be quite critical. I think that takes time. I mean, I think when they're into the job, you know, they're, 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 they're almost they're commenting on players that they captained or you know sort of played alongside. I think that's always quite difficult and a bit tricky. But I think players kind of get over that, or former players do get over that. And um, I think the good thing about those two, though, they, they, they in the right way, they are critical. And I, don't, I, think, I think if you imagine, I don't think anything that they say when they are quite critical, or the best critics in, a, in any sport, I don't think they're saying anything that they probably wouldn't have said in that dressing room anyway. And that was the great thing about Nasu saying when he was captain, when you do interview him, because he was so open and honest. He'd say sometimes, like if England had a really bad day, he'd he'd come up with, um, I thought we were abysmal out there today. I mean, you know, this is good stuff. You know, he's quite powerful stuff and speaking very, very honestly about the team. But then you were waiting for the but, and it came, you know, but I know my players can get us out of this or we've got the players to turn things around. So quite cleverly, he he always backed his players and talked about them positively. But the way when they criticise, um, um, it takes getting used to. But the way they do it, I think, and the best ones who do it are those who basically uh, and their players and the players would admit, and they don't like players don't like getting criticised, of course. But if they really break it down and look at what they're saying, it wouldn't be what wouldn't be said in the dressing room anyway. If they played really badly, you can imagine um, a player having a go at somebody, you know you know, for, for playing badly or, you know, or not not pulling their weight or whatever
0: it is. Yeah. And then as a sports journalist, how important is it to have a close or a good relationship with uh the players off camera? Um, Are there any particular players that you kind of got on well um away from the kind of uh, recording? I, yeah, I'd like
1: to think because I did it for such a long time and almost, um, and why I did it for a long time, I kind of like to think, and I'm quite proud of the way that I got that balance right, really. I was there. Cricket was my interest. And, uh, you know, I wanted to. You are England fans in that you want England to do well. But you're certainly not England fans with, you know, cameras or laptops and things, you know. And it's not like all the time you will just say how great England are all the time. That's not really part of the job. You know that you know you need to be balanced. You need to be um, honest in your reporting, and um, and pretty much players would front up. You know, uh, you know the, the trickier times. If you know if they've had a, if you have to talk to somebody about a really bad performance, because no one wants to talk about that, but you need to. That's your go because that's what I always. I mean, I mean going back to my club cricket um, background, I kind of think what would what would they want to be? What would they want me to be asking them? What would the public want me to be asking them? You know, um, and, and that's the way I approached it. So sometimes um it's negative, but I think the players, uh you know, they are grown up and respect that you have to ask those questions and and they'll front up. That's why, um, you know, that's why a good sort of press officer or media liaison is pretty good because they'll breathe and they'll say, God, look, you know, they're going to ask you this or that. It could be about, I mean, you know, nowhere, no more so than the whole Kevin Peterson thing where that, you know, that story just went on and on. And the pressure was to ask about Alistair Cook about that the whole time. And he did, of course he got fed up with it. So the secret is to try and do that in a, in, a, in a good way that you will get the best out of somebody. But when it's a bad day, players front up and they're, they're pretty open and honest about that. I mean, they're not expecting you to try and focus on positives when there's been a terrible batting collapse or so on. But away from that, I'd like to think that... Um, Uh, that the players respected what I had to do and I'd like to think that they thought I went about that job in the right way and given that I did it for so long and I actually got on with the players quite well I'd like to think that they thought I got that right and to be honest with you even though players were you know, by the end quite a lot younger than me you still kind of put them on this pedestal because they are playing for England they're doing something you you can only imagine doing and they're, they're, they're good at what they do so you always kind of look up to them in many ways. But, the, but you, need to, you need to respect them and, and show respect for what they do and, um, and for giving you their time. And, um, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I think I kind of like to think that they kind of liked what I did, basically. It, it, you know,
0: both good and bad,
1: that I did it in the right way.
0: And are there any moments that stand out that went wrong?
1: Gosh, that's um, that's. I never had any real. Um, I never had any real disasters, if you like. I remember I was doing a live once at Lords, who are absolute. Got you put one foot on the hallowed turf, so, you know the steward. Oh, off the pit, you know. Sometimes when you had to, to do live pieces to camera, that you had to just be on the. Although you had to, you had passes and so on, but there were no respecter for what you had to do. They had their job to do. The grounds uh, staff to get the uh, the, uh, the ground ready. So we were—I was literally in the middle of this live, and the, uh, this lawnmower was going up and down, almost getting nearer and nearer and nearer as 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 as, as, as this live report went on. And eventually, I—I I mean, it, we practically got run over by this lawnmower. I mean, it deliberately got so close in that it made us scarper. You know, you know, in the middle of this live. And it's their message. Look, oh, yeah, just because you're doing this thing for sky, don't think that you're going to affect us preparing the ground. So, so that would be had to sort of uh scarf a, a bit there. I've I've had some real close shades when we we're doing live reports of county cricket or England warm-up matches, or when the tourists come over and they have their warm up games, and you're doing live reports into Sky Sports News, but you're doing it when you've got your back to the action. So um you know, you're just giving a quick score update or whatever and and then you're talking over stuff that's already been sent back you know if it's wickets going down so you're talking blind if you like so that you know they're running in those shots and you're describing that and they come back to you in vision and literally i i i a couple of times a ball was whistled past my ear when i've been doing a live report and i've had to sort of duck and uh, all that sort of thing so those are the little things that uh uh, that can go wrong, really, but I, 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 no real terrible embar- embarrassing moments, anyway. Do you think there's
0: enough media coverage given to county cricket?
1: I think I think that's what Sky Sports News did really well um, um, in you know doing live reports. That you know we would have a section during the summer where we were zipping all over you know maybe three or four county games um, and. Um, I thought they did that really well and gave it a good profile. Sky do when they when they cover uh, domestic uh, cricket, um, you know, with the counties, with the T Twenty Blast, and so on. But there's no doubt county cricket kind of does. They they almost show maybe the the, um, the opening game and then the climax of the county championship, which is which is always a good day or always a good moment. Um, but I just think it's about appetite, it's about scheduling, and it's about would they get the audience figures for that, really? So in a way, it's hard showing day in day out county cricket. But there's lots of you know other platforms where you can watch that now, and the, the clubs themselves have their own kind of you know sort of, you know TV platforms and that now where it really kicks in. It and this is almost where the the money is and where the where the big interest in crowds is is you know for the for the shorter form of the game. Um, and I think county cricket. Um, is well served by that, really, actually, yeah. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how the 100 goes or whether that's now going to be put back in now because of what's going on. Uh, but that would be uh, cricket back on terrestrial TV as well with the BBC. So, um, but I think because, because, you know, because it's in so many ways all about international cricket and all about England and all about the live coverage there and, you know, with schedules now, uh, I mean... Um, from start to finish, from start to the start of the summer right through to you know September, it's pretty much England all the way. where you think there's Test cricket, T20 cricket, One Day Internationals, so often there's not that scope to to show a lot of uh, county cricket. It's it's a it's a it's a, it's a tricky one.
0: And then uh, when the end came at Sky, um, did it come as a shock to you?
1: Yeah, I was in India at the time, and I was just um, I was. Uh, I'll I'll never forget it because I was actually filing back an interview with Alastair Cook the day before the first test in India. We were in Chandigarh and I got a call from a colleague on my phone. We were literally, we were actually in the hotel lobby because the way that the job changed was we had these kind of mobile view units, which were amazing, which used to pull in all the internet connections and all the surroundings of networks and you could literally just broadcast hd um quality pictures back to the uk just almost by making a phone call it's incredible piece of equipment and that's that's what you see now um you know it's not like big satellite trucks anymore you just and that's why we could do literally from wherever we were in the world we could do uh report on england training live you know it it was it was it's fantastic to do so we're using this to send back our our pictures and our story and then i got a call saying oh look tim we're gonna." That we got um, sort of cuts here at Sky, which I knew that were, were happening, but I didn't would have, think would affect me. And uh, so that we're pulling everyone back who's on foreign assignment. So we're we're looking to get you out and um, as soon as possible. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing in many ways because I'd done all the build up stuff. And in fact, we've been in Bangladesh before that. We went straight to India from Bangladesh, and uh, uh, it's always the real climax of the winter just about to happen. So um, I. Yeah, so they we, we flew home. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't cover the Test match, so I did all the build up, and then and then they pulled me back, and um, and then I um, went in later that week when I got back and said, look, yeah, we're not you know we're not going to be covering cricket as we are once were, uh, you know used to with you, and, and there are new plans. So basically, yeah, I, I was made redundant by Sky, and um, it, it was ironic that there were four senior reporters who uh, there was myself, Nick Collins, who was a re- you know who was there even longer than me the real face of, you know, football reporting at Sky and um, our guy in the Midlands and Phil Edwards, our rugby guy. So we're quite senior guys, at, uh, you know, at Sky. So it, it came as a bit of a shock to everybody and it became quite a big media story because, um, because I think people knew what we did for so long, uh, you know, got written about a fair bit. So, um, so it was a shock. Yeah, definitely. But I've been there, you know, I've been there a long time. And do you know what? I mean, I, I just said to them almost my parting shot was, look, um, although I, you know, I was gutted and it was a terrible, terrible thing to sort of be told. But I actually I just said to I said to my boss, I said, um, and it was through him, I just said, look, um, I'm, I'm I'm just so grateful for the opportunity that you gave because um I, I've had a I've had a ball, I've traveled the world doing what I really wanted to do. And I think in all honesty, if if I wasn't doing cricket at Sky, I don't think that, that there was anything else there for me because um uh, that was that was my passion, and I couldn't really basically going back to sort of doing football reporting. And there were there were you know, there's better people than me who were able to do that. In all honesty, who had more of a passion, and that's what you need. Everybody who works at Sky, they're so passionate about what they do, and um, and they just sports you know they just know everything about sport, and they're just so professional. Um, and um, and I was doing something that I thought I was professional and I enjoyed doing. So. Um, I did have the odd thought that God, if I wasn't doing this, what would I do? And um, so, so when the, it came the time that they were restructuring because of uh, budgets and so on, and I and I and I was um, on my way, um, uh, it, it was I kind of left and I, I left on a high, and I left nothing out there. I gave it my all, I really did, and I think they, they I think they knew that. But I, I needed to say look do you know what, um, you know, thanks for the opportunity. It's just been
0: amazing. Yeah. And then you've moved into lecturing now at Mm. Liverpool John Moores. But um, before we get into that, um, do you feel there's still some unfinished business in sports journalism?
1: Yeah. Oh god, that's a really good question. Yes, I think I do. I don't. Do you know? I didn't miss it when I uh, because it was um, because I had been doing it, it, it been doing it a long time, and it was a really good period to take stock, which I did for a few months. And um, and I was actually, in many ways, quite oh, glad—maybe the wrong word—but there was a bit of relief that I was out of the bubble in many ways, and I could, you know, that I was given this opportunity to take stock again. Um, but um, I didn't miss it at first. Even when I started uh, lecturing here, I, um, because I was getting uh, my head around a completely new job and a new challenge, uh, and you know I, I, working in the world of academia I'm not an academic I mean I the good thing about Liverpool John Moores is that they're very keen that they want people teaching their students who worked in the professional world and I think that's a great thing but there's a lot of academic uh, sides of the job as well that I had to get my head around so it's a big challenge so I didn't really miss it at all until last summer when there was that amazing summer in Test cricket yeah. and I was seeing stories in press conference and I just kind of thought oh i I'd be there doing that, you know. So that's the only time. So it's a bit of a delayed reaction. Um, but um, I was always quite interested in the mentoring side of things. Even at Sky, I got involved in projects that they did for young people. We did this thing where uh through a charity we would take elite athletes into schools and things. And I got involved in that and enjoyed doing that. Um, but um, so it's a kind of a in a way, a natural kind of progression in that. I'm still involved, uh, but in a, in a different way. And I still do quite a lot of punditry work, um, you know, on the radio and things. But sometimes I think I do still come up with story ideas. So I don't think you ever kind of lose it. And I, I'm always thinking about when I'm teaching students about whether it's about, you know, writing for TV or recovering stories or whatever, we have our news days. I still come up with good, I'd like, I'd like to think of good story ideas. And I think, well, oh, that would make a nice piece. So I, I don't think you ever switch off. And I, in a way, it's good to keep your hand in and doing that, which I'm, you know, kind of doing. And I'd like to do a bit more, but I don't think you ever lose the, the, almost the journalistic juices.
0: They always keep flowing, I think. Yeah. And then how have you found that transition into lecturing? And what is the kind of the biggest advice you can give to budding sports journalists? doing this
1: yeah i, I the move has been great very different from uh you know staring down the barrel of a camera and uh are probably talking to like, thousands hundreds of thousands maybe a million people who have whatever audience figures are because your stuff gets shown all over the world you never you never knew where your pieces would pop up and so on so the the discipline is is very different um talking to a, a sort of a room full of students and so that's something to get used to But um, I I, I found the transition. I'd like to say um, the practical side of it is it it makes me think about what I did. I mean, my whole approach, I'm a module leader for a, a module called Sports Journalism Skills. And basically, I kind of rewrote that course. And what I've tried to do is I thought, right, what did I do almost from start to finish in my job? You know, from turning up at a uh, a, a sports event or a press conference and taking the job right through to finding my story. And that's pretty much what I've done. I I chronologically take them through. So we do preview writing and filming. We do uh, the press conference etiquette or doing one on one with players and then uh, filing material and then keeping stuff back for follow up stories that you might need to do. And it's that whole process. So, so that's the way I've gone about it, and and I think that's gone pretty well. Um, but that's me, you know, doing what I know. That's the bread and butter for me, if you like, and uh, just being interested in keeping on top of sports stories is is what I do, and it's what I'll always do. Um, but the academic side of it is 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 the harder work, in that I'm I have to mark dissertations, I have to do. Uh, a lot of issues around uh, law and ethics which is obviously something i did but uh, as uh, but in, in the working environment to teach and mark work on that is a different prospect altogether so whilst it is a very practical and vocational course it is still an honours degree and it means that, that there's a lot of academic work to do and uh, that means a lot of marking and something that you know that i never never really did at all but um, But it's about being organised. And I I do. Every day is challenging. I I think I might have said to you off off the air that just when I think I've cracked it or on top of it, something then hits you that you're not expecting, you have to adapt to. Uh, But that's the challenge of the
0: job. And so the biggest advice you can probably give to budding students? Yes,
1: advice. Good point. Do you know what? I think it comes back to, I think there are two things. Um, And I know how competitive it is out there now. So given that competition and given it is that there are a lot of people who want to do and, you know, say, you know, whatever the sport is to do a job like I did Um, because there are a lot of sports courses around now and and degree courses in journalism and and other courses um, and and you're guided through your courses. So that's fine. And you get trained and you have good skills, but I think, and and do you know what? This, I think this, this, this was always the case. It's always going to be a case of, Uh, employers wanting to see what else have you done so fine you've got this degree I know you can do I can see here you pass your shorthand exams you pass your exam you know we know that you're you could be a good all-round journalist but what have you done outside of your course that's going to almost impress me so I think it's about um, it's about breaking away from the course and doing your own thing so it's about it's about doing blogs. If there's a sports issue or a sport that you really care about, do a blog on it. Uh, it's about being on social media, having something to say, um, because, you, you know, you can set up yourself as a journalist. Uh, you know, anybody can do it, as it were. So it's about having blogs. It's about going and, and, and doing stories, getting good experience and um so when they've got that pile of of applicants um and then you and they ask you uh, so what else have you done you can then say well look i've been writing this blog or you can show them pieces of work you've done so it's breaking out of that mold and 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 coming up with someone uh something that um uh that's different from from the crowd. it's not following the crowd following the crowd is everybody having that qualification but it's having something else or Having got a story, if you've got published and so on, we've we've had some um, students uh, who, on work experience, uh, went to the Liverpool Echo as sports reporters, which is a really strong paper up here, and um, I mean did so well. And and this guy who is good, uh, you know, he got he he had a double page spread uh, published and everything. That for him would be look, this is showing. Look, this is what I've done. You know, this is this is the uh, because you know it was so good that they 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 sort of published his story. So uh, to have that byline and, you know, it's, that, that'd be great for him for when, you know, for when he goes out into into that, into that world. So it's, it's, it's coming up with different ideas. There's a really good quote from um, Alex J. Kelsky, who I think may have just left as the sports editor of the Times. I'm not quite sure, but I got in touch with him because I wanted quotes from people in the business about, about their jobs and, and what it takes to be. And he came up with this really good quote I use. And and, and he said that what he was looking for as a sports editor was someone who didn't follow the crowd, who came up with ideas uh, and and who can break stories, if you like. So um, that's the advice I would give uh, uh, getting experience. And two, just it comes back to a point I made earlier about being a good writer, just really working. And really, if you enjoy writing, just keep working at that, because... I think that's the, the 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 bottom line skill that everyone needs, whatever medium they're in, they're in. It's, it's the written word. If it's writing for websites or newspapers or radio or TV, being a good writer is really important. So if you can work at that and and, and be a good writer, then I I think that's um uh, that's that's good advice. In that, as I said before, the best reporters, no matter what the medium, are uh, the best writers.
0: And do you think there's, if we focus specifically on cricket, is do you think there's opportunities out there for anyone wanting to be specialised as a sports journalist in cricket, in whatever platform there's out there? Do you reckon there's opportunity?
1: I think so because as uh, cricket stirs the emotions, and if you think of the global appeal of cricket, I mean, uh, um, uh, I and with all that's going on now with the different competitions that there are, I do I do think there is because. Um, it, it's an amazing sport in that, it, it, in that there aren't so many forms of one sport that, you know, operate on the world stage. You've got test cricket, you've got one day international cricket, you've got 2020 cricket, now we've got the 100. And if you think about all the leagues that are going around the world, the IPL, the Big Bash, uh, the Caribbean League and so on, and, 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 uh, and tournaments in the, in the subcontinent. So, um, there's a lot of cricket going on, there's a lot to report on, but uh, having said that, um, uh, there are a lot of people out there who want to do it. I mean, I mean, going to a press conference in India and seeing the media interest there—it's uh, phenomenal. I mean, you know, press conferences, and there are all these little—I mean, you never know where they're from because they've got they've got quite small cameras, and uh, they, they work for websites, they work for blogs, and so on. You know, it's so so. Um, you know there's lots of avenues and i think through digital there are a lot of avenues um to to uh uh to work on um but the competition is still there but there's uh there's i think in this digital multimedia world where um you know you do have to be an all-rounder so it's about being a good writer and about being able to um you know to, to film and cut pieces together in tv and do audio pieces as well um I think that's the future and a multimedia, um, you know, with the websites that are around, I think that that, that that should provide a lot of opportunity. And if you think now as well, um, uh, you know, that sporting institutions are almost becoming, setting up their own TV stations in their own rights. Um, for example, Lancashire have contacted us to say, uh, because of their digital platform, they're looking for students who would who would like working on cricket, like filming cricket and doing, and doing social media stuff for their own channel we got you got liverpool fc tv you've got man united tv you've got chelsea tv so there are lots of opportunities in sport because these governing bodies or clubs actually want their own media platforms and they're looking for people who can do that job and that's exactly what student journalists can provide
0: and then going back to yourself i know you touched on it earlier that you still do a little bit of radio work. I saw that you did um, an online stage interview with Graham Gooch recently. You mentioned uh, about your podcast. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah,
1: that's great. That, that, that is a great way. I, I think that's a really good way for, to keep my hand in and to keep in touch with the industry and to keep talking to the people that I know and keeping in touch. It's really important my job to know the latest things that are going on whether it 's about employment or about what what people are looking for, how the industry is changing because it's you know changing so fast all the time so um, so you know keeping in touch with my colleagues is really important to do that, but my podcast idea and i've done i i've done um, I've done a couple of these and i 'm going to develop this is to uh i think in this quick fix world um, uh, and there are younger hot shot reporters if you like who are coming on the scene who are very good um, but there are still some amazing veteran sports reporters who actually might have retired who who perhaps don't do it anymore but who have amazing journalistic or sports stories to tell basic from how they got their jobs to the big stories they covered off the top of my head I can I mean I, I've actually look, I started right here in Liverpool with a guy called John Keith who I remember when I was a fledging young radio reporter coming up to do Liverpool games and I he was like the doyone if you like in that oh, it, they laugh about it but they're almost called the Merseyside Mafia where they were the local guys but they had great contacts and they just knew the club inside out and you I didn't really talk to them or anything because I was you know they were much you know bigger fish than I was but um, but uh you know he'd been just doing this job for so long and it just thought to me, when I was doing this idea of the podcast and that idea of talking to these sporting veterans, he'd be a great guy to start with because it's here in Liverpool as well. And he was great, so I got in touch with him. But he goes right back to the days of Bill shankley. He used to ghost oh. his column in the paper. And he he would ring him up, and um, or Shankly would ring him about advice about doing... And it, you know, this incredible relationship that... Um, that, uh, that these guys had, you know, with the managers at that time in a very different world. Now, you wouldn't see that now, you know. That I mean, it just doesn't, you know, You, as you said to me in the interview, you'd be surprised if, the, you know, that, that, that say, local reporters or, you know, top football correspondents would have the whole number of Jurgen Klopp, for example, or if they'd have his mobile, because everything is kind of stage managed now. We've talked about going through press offices and things. But to have that one-on-one contact was amazing. They give, the, they give Bob Paisley a lift to a, a, an end-of-season awards due. You know, it's incredible. So the access and contacts that they had were amazing. And some of the stories he told about Bill Shankly was great. So, so there are people out there who, who had these amazing... And I, I'm hoping that that will be inspirational to students and for them to think about some, um, some old-school stories, if you like, um, and I think, hopefully, I think sports journalism world would actually quite uh, find that quite entertaining and a good listen to as well.
0: What is it called? Just so that anyone,
1: it's called Ah, the oh, there you are. Yes. Okay. So, and I got that from a good pre- coming back to a guy who is a good writer and just a good sports journalist, Mike Walters at the Daily Mirror. Now, um, he he's actually just a really funny guy, but he's just a very he's just got a great turn of phrase. Uh, he uses puns in a really good way and in a funny way. But he's just a really good writer. And, and he did a lot of cricket. He was the cricket correspondent for the Daily Mirror um, uh, a few years ago. Uh, and he was a guy I got on with really well. But he had this phrase about, if he would just see you, he'd say, uh, oh, there you are. And um, and I just thought, do you know what? It almost sums up. It's, it, a, I, it's a phrase that I got from a colleague. And it kind of sets up exactly what the the, uh, the interviews are about in a way. Um, so that's what I call them, yeah. I've got one, Cornelius Lysart, coming out uh, uh, with the intention of obviously building up to the Grand National that's now been um, obviously cancelled now. Yeah. But I've spoken to him as well, and that's going to be coming out. So great to hear about. In a world that I don't know, if there's one sport, if someone said to me, what if there's one sport that you're, you're really out of your comfort zone, it would be racing. I'm not a racing person at all. But um, I've been to the Grand National a few times, and... Um, it's an amazing place, and if you think of the amazing stories that come out of there, you know, with the bomb scare, the race that never was, obviously Red Rum, and you had Tiger Roll going for a third successive win this year. Uh, that 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 would have been a big story. Um, but it's just talking about his career, how he got into the job again, very much like me, local radio through to working for Five Live and being the racing correspondent. So it was really good to get his perspective on uh, on how he goes about his job and. Um, and and the way he started and some stories he
0: tells. So so that that's coming out soon now. So Tim, perfect. Um really appreciate your time today. Um fantastic stories, great insight for any budding sports journalist um, coming through the ranks. And um and yeah, all the best with uh with the lecturing, etc. And stay safe in this. Yeah, in this to, you too, and good luck to you too. Yeah,
1: everybody gets stay safe. That's the important thing, yeah.
0: Yep, so Neil Kagram, Cricket Lost Stories, Tim Abraham. Thank you.